Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Welcome to the news. Well, we really technically haven't started the news yet. Uh, anyway, today on the show, we are going to talk about two different works of art, one for television, one for the big screen, which you now watch on your television anyway, uh, each of which deal with complexities of race, uh, ways in which we can get on each other's nerves and misunderstand one another. American Fiction, which is nominated for many Oscars, does it really from a largely comic perspective. Criminal Record, which is a British series on Apple Plus, does it from a dramatic perspective. It's kind of a police procedural, uh, but Kush Jumbo, uh, an amazing actor, plays a detective who's realizing that race plays a bigger role in her case than she had previously realized. I I think I get that right. Let's find out after this. That's my new walk-up music. I'm feeling it. All right, it's the nose. We're going to talk about culture today with three wise people. It's like the Magi, sort of. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, American fiction, the movie, and Criminal Record, the TV series. And to do that, we have with us today on the nose Rich Holland, uh, principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center, and commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. And we have Sean Murray, stand-up comedian, writer, and the host of the Nobody Asked Sean, S-H-A-W-N podcast, who is, this is exciting, uh, Sean will be performing tonight and tomorrow night at City Steam Brewery in Hartford. Tickets at ComedyCraftBeer.com. I believe it'll be, he'll be doing his usual stand-up act, plus this new character he's developed, this uh, bitter and confused old man named Colin. Uh, and it's... <laughs> It's sort of like Richard Pryor's Mudbone, but whiter. Uh, and then also with us today, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College, and she's the author of The Essays Only You Can Write, which has now been optioned by Hollywood. It's believed that uh, Carrie Mulligan will be playing Irene Papoulis, Emerald Fennell directing. I'm very excited about this. I hope the whole project holds together there in the pipeline. So, yes, American Fiction is uh, nominated for all kinds of Academy Awards. Uh, It stars Jeffrey Wright as a frustrated author of rather brainy and sometimes Greco-Roman classics-based fiction of some kind, who, in a fit of frustration, decides to write under a pseudonym, to write what he thinks, what he perceives that audiences want, which is almost a caricature of blackness. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he crafts it as a book initially called My Pathology. I'm going to have a harder time telling you what the other name uh, of it is. But here we, uh, here we encounter Jeffrey Wright uh, as Thelonious Monk Ellison, conferring with John Ortiz, who's playing his uh, agent, Arthur, talking about this very project, A1, Gene. 
I be standing outside in the night. A police chopper go by and shine some lights in some backyards, and I think shine that light on me, motherfucker. Shine me some light so I can see where the I be at. Are you serious? You notice I didn't put my name on it. Yes, Stagar Lee. I did notice that. Well done, but I still can't send this out. You said you wanted black stuff. What's blacker than that? It's got. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack, and he gets killed by a cop in the end. I mean, that's, 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 that's black, right? I see what you're doing. Good, because it's not subtle. Who do you expect to publish this? No one. I just want to rub their noses in the whole they solicit. Okay. What do you want me to do? I want you to send it out. Can I say it's performance art? No, send it straight. If they can't take the joke, then them. All right, but I'm only sending it to a couple of places. This thing scares me. Scares you? Why? Because white people think they want the truth, but they don't. They just want to feel absolved. Well, fortunately, that's not my problem. Okay. Bye. You know, if you've experienced, I don't know, say 20 years of culture, you can probably guess where this is going, even if you read no reviews whatsoever. You can probably guess what's going to happen to this um, this particular project. So, Rich Holland, uh, I don't know, where should we start with this? I mean, maybe we just have to start with an overview about whether or not the conceit of this movie actually works, flies, sustains, entertains. How did it land for you? You know, I was thinking that it would have made a great book. <laughs> it was, um, and that's kind of that's kind of where it landed. Um, it, you know, so the conceit of the movie is smack on, and we've seen it before, right? Um, uh, and we've seen—I can't remember the name of the movie, but there was this one movie with uh, with uh, Eddie Griffith playing pretty much this role, and it was funny. Period. And the the challenge with this movie is it's trying to be all things. You know, it's trying to be, uh, it's got a little romance thing going on in there. It's got a little family dynamic thing going on. It's got a satire going on. Um, and it's got incredible performances. And it's, they forgot to hire a director. It's <laughs> kind of what my overall take on this thing was. Um, they thought that it just seems like all the pieces were there and you could, and it's a type of film that you just want to stay out of its way and let it happen. And I think the director got in its way. Um, and so we have phenomenal characters like um, uh, like Jeffrey Wright. We got Leslie Uggam in this in this movie um, delivering incredibly great performances. Um, but nobody really knew what movie they were in. And um, and that's that's kind of a heartbreaker. Um, uh, yeah. So that's that's okay. kind of my take. Okay. On it. It's, yeah. It's a you know, movie. I think I enjoyed this movie more than you did, but I don't disagree with very much of what you said. I mean, I think it is kind of, you know, a dog's dinner. It's it's just an awful lot of things mixed together uh, in one bowl. I still had a good time. But uh, Irene, how, how about you? Um, I had a good time also as the other white person on the panel. Um, <laughs> we both felt absolved. And- Right, exactly. Yeah. And I actually expected I had seen the preview, which was one of those longer previews that you sort of feel like you've seen the whole movie. And I felt like I had because I felt like it was really going to be just one extended joke on the idea of him writing that book. And, you know, but I so I was surprised that it seemed um, 
it seemed a little more layered and interestingly, interestingly layered than that. And there was a lot going on besides that, though that side of it, I did li- did laugh at. Um, but and I'd also be curious, uh, Rich, what you think a director would have could have done a different director could have done to it. I don't know if now's the time to talk about that, but I'd be I'd be really curious. Well, let's cycle through the whole panel, and I think it's a really great question, yeah. though. And so, so we'll, we'll we'll come back to it. I do want to say as we're getting over to, towards Sean, yeah, I mean Jeffrey Wright is in the title role. I think anybody who's been following him for the last ten years or so knows what an amazing actor he is. And uh, Leslie Uggams, as Rich said, uh, plays his mom. Uh, John Ortiz is great as his agent, uh, and there are some. And Sterling K. Brown plays one of his siblings. Issa Rae plays Sintara Golden, who is sort of the golden girl of the moment uh, in in kind of race-based fiction, the kind of fiction that uh, that our protagonist Monk wants to lampoon. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Sean, give us your, your overall take. Well, I like that I'm able to uh, split this perfectly <laughs> down the middle, you know, yeah. a bit of a a, a race war, if you will, we're gonna have here. As we, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on, uh, I'm on Rich's side. Um, I, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was funny, and I thought there's a lot there. I just felt like the execution was lacking. Like I, I, I think Rich says direction was an issue. I, I could see that too. Like it wasn't, but I also felt like the writing was a, a bit of an issue for me as well. Like um, Corey Jefferson is is a great writer. Like he's like if you look at his TV resume, it's like it's impeccable, pretty much an impeccable start to his career. He, other than some show called Survivor's Remorse, which I've never heard of, he had nightly show Larry Wilmore, Master of None, The Good Place, Succession, Watchmen, Station Eleven. Like that's that's his resume. Like incredible, all stuff I love. But here I feel like this was I feel like because he's such a darling writer and also because of the subject matter it felt like they didn't give him any they gave him some notes but not enough notes where it's like no like they just kind of like wanted to put this out because i mean obviously it worked out for whatever studio i can't remember who did it because they got the oscar dimes and whatnot but i feel like it's just missing like an actual perspective on this actual topic of like the satire that they're trying to do i've seen it before either done sometimes done better or sometimes just done the exact same way i didn't feel like there was a new take on this I think there's a lot to explore. There's a lot of elements that that work, but then some of them don't jive together. Like I feel like this, the family stuff is interesting, but also like I feel like sometimes detracts from the 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 rest of the story. But you know, there's parts of it that that do engage with it. But it feels like like Sarah K. Brown, for example, right? Sarah K. Brown is I think he's awesome in this movie, but I also feel like he's in the wrong movie. Like I feel like as, as we were talking about this a little earlier, and I was saying uh, I I feel like he he was throwing a hundred mile power fastball, but he's in the wrong ballpark. You know, like, we're in St. Louis, and, he, and he's in Baltimore. You know, like, like it's, it's not really... <laughs> it doesn't serve this movie. I, 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 his whole storyline is just kind of weird. He's like, it's, he's just... I don't know. It's... I don't know. Well, so, actually, just to set that up a little bit, uh, and Sterling Brown plays, as I say, Monk's brother, uh, who is, I think, a cosmetic surgeon. I think he's a plastic surgeon. Uh, and he has kind of... Uh, set himself apart from the family. He's living on the other coast. Uh, he's discovered he's gay. Uh, he's doing a lot of <laughs> other things that that uh, that probably his mother wouldn't approve of. Uh, and so let's hear a little scene with Jeffrey Wright as Monk, Sterling K. Brown as Clifford, and Erica Alexander as Coraline, who is the love interest in, in this movie for Thelonious Monk Ellison. This is a two, Gene. 
You're really going for it these days. I only been gay for like five minutes. I gotta make up for lost time. Hey, good for you. I mean, the whole world's falling apart. Might as well have some fun. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, you're quite beautiful. What do you see in my brother? He's funny. Mm-hmm. He's not funny. No, not ha-ha funny. No. Like, sad funny. Okay. Like a three-legged dog. I see it now, like somebody dying on a toilet. Exactly. God. Yeah, exactly. In, invariably, you, you, you go too far. You think? I don't think <laughs> I go far enough. It's becoming hurtful. Oh. See? You know, invariably, you, 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 you go too far. <laughs> yeah. You got a kiss, man. Look at you. Just by being pathetic. God bless you. Hey. That is like a three-legged dog. <laughs> you know, irrespective of whether this movie works or not, I laughed four times during that clip. But, um, but yeah, Rich, let's go back to Irene's question. What could a different director have done or what could Cord Jefferson have done differently? Okay, so a uh, different director would have picked a movie. Um, it would have uh, picked whether we're doing this family drama thing or how we're going to build tension um, around uh, the racial issues that are going on. Um, the, a good director uh, would have pulled really different performances out of a lot of the, the, the counterpoints. Um, Issa Rae's performance wasn't pulled out at all. You know, she was she was allowed to just kind of phone it in and be unaffected. Now, is unaffected the right role for her? Because she's getting over on some folks here, you know, so maybe unaffected, you know, I've got my money, I'm good to go, was the right way to go with that. But um, it wasn't pushed to a point where the tension was palpable. And, um, and, and so the movie just kind of ambled on and then it ended. And and actually it didn't actually even end really. <laughs> you know, we we had to like end it for the movie, you know? Yeah, that so, the, the ending, I we we don't want to talk about the ending, we don't want to spoil anything. I do want to say that I love this movie until the ending. I, I didn't love it. I liked it a lot until the ending. I thought the ending was a total bailout. Uh, I just, uh, I was very, very disappointed. I mean, you're, Rich, you've been saying pick a movie. Well, if you're going to do this movie, pick an ending too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that, that's been the issue for the entire movie, right? That that it was just there wasn't a commitment to it. Um, and and I gotta say, like, um, in reading the resume that you just did there, Sean, reading his CV, his um, uh. Yeah, so he's done a lot of things, but that first feature is going to be a it's going to be a tough one. You know, because you're going to get things thrown at you that you've not had thrown at you before, you know, and there's going to be like studio pressures, there's all this stuff going on. We're going through it now <laughs> on our end. Um staying true to the story that you know that you're telling is a hard thing to do. You know, so when I when I actually turned this thing on, I fully expected to be like blown away. You know, I took a look at the same as Irene. I saw the trailers. I saw the the Oscar nods. Um, I saw Jeffrey Wright. You can't go wrong. Um, and uh, and I'm just getting the sense like what I've been thinking lately is that Oscar nod almost feels like an extension of the movie, right? Well, yeah, there is there is a, something predictive uh, about the movie and that. And Irene, I'm also wondering I, uncomfortably, Irene, whether or not 
the movie is also predictive of what's happening here because the two white people like the movie better than the two black people. Uh, and and maybe it's because the the sort of white stupidity in this movie is sort of stupid enough so that we can feel excluded from the condemnation or something. I, I don't know. It's like maybe, uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe this movie is easier on us than, than it should be. We can say, ha, 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 we're not like those ridiculous people. Yeah. Um, but actually, one thing I'm thinking, too, is about the screenwriting. I mean, I, it would have been interesting to read the, the novel, which I haven't done. But And also, the novel is called Erasure, which is a very interesting title, I think. And it would be, what if this movie had been called Erasure? That would have sort of shifted things, I think. Um, but another thing I'm thinking about is that clip that you that you just played where, you know, what do you see in my brother? And her answer is just kind of this throwaway, always like a three-legged dog, ha ha ha. But at the same, but I'm kind of I'm curious about that too. And it would have been interesting to think about how, what she could have articulated as something that she sees that we see and that we kind of I want to see, and I kind of feel like I do see in him and the way he has his character because Jeffrey Wright does such an interesting job with the character. I think of that attitude, like his just sort of perpetual irritability because because he just lives in this world and he's just he, he doesn't like it and he's trying to make his way in it and it doesn't really fit with him and it just bothers him and just all that stuff that sort of emanates from him in an interesting way i would have loved to see what she you know she she that's probably what she see, sees in him too and i would have wanted to see you know like a script that could have articulated that thing a little bit more you know, Sean, one of the things that I did think after watching the movie and then reading the same CV that you read is, and I'm a big admirer of The Good Place, and we did a whole show about it. And on the other hand, there's a thing in television where you don't necessarily have to show how you get from A to C. You don't have to show B. Um, and and I do think there's a little of that in here, right? There's just, it gets, the movie gets very easily from one place to another, maybe a little bit. I mean, the example that pops into my mind is that he, uh, Monk, decides that he's going to write this novel and and seems to start writing this novel right after first meeting Coraline, the Erica Alexander character, and he's apparently done with the novel by the time they go out on their first date, which mm-hmm. feels like it's just a few days later. Uh, and and none of the process of the novel. I mean, the novel's written by him sitting down at a typewriter or a computer or whatever. Uh, and and I, I do think that there's a kind of plotting series of jump cuts uh, that that maybe could have satisfied you and Rich a little bit more if they'd kind of gone a little deeper. Let me get to that. First, I want to just can we applaud Rich on the Jeffrey Wright? You can't go wrong. Yeah, no, like, I, it's, uh, that's definitely <laughs> that. that's a pull. It's a pull quote right there. We <laughs> got a slogan. And, <laughs> and Jeffrey Wright is obviously amazing. So I agree there. But uh, to your point, Colin, I think I thought the same thing with the novel writing thing. Where it's like, he, did he write this in? three days or 20 minutes like it, it, obviously the the nature of the book is supposed to be that he maybe he could have written it in 20 minutes but it doesn't really explore one of my actually one of my favorite scenes is the writing of the novel the one scene that he actually is writing the novel where Keith David shows up and another uh uh actor and like they're kind of uh dramatizing 
the characters that he's writing on the page. And I would have, I, I hate to do the thing where you're like, oh, this is what the, the movie could have done more of, you know, rather than engaging with the actual movie. But I feel like that, there was space for like that, the exploring the, because uh, he, he kind of goes through like um, the process of writing these characters and putting words in their mouth. And then like, you know, the characters will kind of break the fourth wall and say to him like, I wouldn't say that, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it's a really interesting, um, like a uh, framing device for that, the process of writing that, Story. I would have loved to see more of that throughout the movie. Like the the process of him figuring out what this book would be and how 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 far to go, how how stereotypical, like you know, like the characters questioning him in the, in as a way to show that he's questioning him himself himself. And then if we have more of the Issa Rae character, like the clash between like like you know, did he did he actually ever he he might have I can't remember, but like did he actually ever read her book like fully and like explore like um like why he really feels this way. And that's one of the things about this movie, I felt like it felt kind of a little, the satire or like the the, the, the the commentary that they're making felt a little dated, which isn't to say that there isn't like a um, still, you know, there's always going to be like uh, stereotypical um, or like sort of ham, ham-fisted like uh, art in the, in the media landscape that, that, you know, people gravitate towards. But I feel like this is a movie it's not really engaging with the current moment in terms of like with a new take on how like we're um how to combat that like and, and to your guys' point about how the movie kind of like the ending kind of cheats it where it's like um uh, it's not really a real ending and he doesn't like it never really takes a um i feel like jeffrey wright never really has to contend uh or monk rather never really has to contend with like what he he actually did right you know I mean? like like what the, the like writing this like like the 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 outcome and the fallout like, like what was wrong with what he did in the first place? It kind of just like, and I get the point. It's like, oh no, even I tried to do something like that was, uh, um, like, s- uh, sarcastic, and it, it blew up in my face because I got more successful from it. Which is like, you know, an artist kind of a lot of artists' worst fear. Like, you know, like the thing I think sucks, it actually is my most successful thing. But it doesn't really, I don't know, it just doesn't come together for me right i don't want it, so much it's I, sort of I, like, i'll see the yeah. rest of my time on the show to everyone else <laughs> no well no first of all it is a little bit like the producers right i'm um, except the zero mustel and yeah. Jim Wilder go to jail um spoiler but um so yeah you know as we <laughs> begin to wrap up this segment though i guess i want to go around the table one more time starting with you rich and just say i mean a person could listen to this conversation and decide not to watch this movie and and i'm wondering whether we all or whether the people who don't like this movie feel that that's a good i mean i would would say just for the moments that do work they work so well and so the because of the performances that work and almost all of these performances work i would agree that Issa Rae is underwritten but um the and just for leslie uggams dancing with two gay guys i, I just like the I, I think there's sort of enough there um so that you could watch the movie and maybe draw your own conclusion but rich yeah give us your take on that um uh watch the trailers um there's a couple of them out there Save yourself two hours. All right. Okay. <laughs> Irene, you're in favor yeah. of watching yeah. the movie. Yeah. I'm definitely in favor of it. I would just, I would point to um, Tracy Ellis Rose's performance as his sister. It's <laughs> just, it just rang so true to me as somebody with a lot of siblings. The, their interaction was, was just wonderful to see. And the, the whole, the family dynamics um, that were not the kind of happy family, but they also, but it was a little bit interesting. It was interesting to watch, and and that surprised me, and I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, the family dynamic stuff. I mean, I, I would agree the, with the criticism that this is a lot of different movies sitting in one frame, but uh, the family dynamic stuff is a lot of fun. And I don't have any siblings. But uh, so, Sean, you're going to get the last word here. I would say it's worth watching because, um, you know, Jeffrey Wright gets to be the lead actor, but he doesn't get to do much in movies. And um, Tracy Ellis Ross was great. You need to cast her more stuff. And Erica Alexander, you know, living single alum. Um, we don't see her much. I w- this is like an opportunity. Like, I feel like if you're a producer in Hollywood and you're listening to this show right now, which, of course, you are. That's how I really got that <laughs> book deal. Uh, uh, Cast Eric Alexander more stuff. She's great. And, and Tracy Ellis Ross. Like, they should be in movies. And this movie needed more of them as well. So uh, that's what I have to say. Yeah. And I sort of had the same thought that, first of all, if you're watching this movie and you don't want to go on a date with Erica Alexander, you're dead inside. Uh, but I also want to say, Lest, one of the great things <laughs> about life, Leslie Uggams, think about Leslie Uggams' whole career. Think about Roots and stuff like that. Uh, she's This year she's, well, last year she's in this. Uh, this year she's in Deadpool and Wolverine. Uh, so it's just a great country. It's a wonderful culture. Um, all right. I don't really mean that seriously. Let's take a little break. We'll come back. We've got another thing to talk about. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. And welcome back. Uh, this is The Nose. The Nose today consists of Richard Holland, uh, principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center, commissioner of cultural uh, cultural affairs for the city of Hartford, Sean Murray, stand-up comedian, writer, and the host of the Nobody Asked Sean podcast. You can see him. You can see the actual Sean uh, at City Steam Brewery this weekend. I've just lost my place where the, the whole thing is there, but it's uh, Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, he will do, be doing stand-up there. I got it now. Tickets at comedycraftbeer.com. Uh, and Irene Papoulis uh, is, of course, a teacher of writing at Trinity College and the author of the essays only you can write. Soon to be a major motion picture starring Carrie Mulligan as Irene Papoulis. We're going to talk right, right now about Criminal Record. This is a series, a British series running on Apple+. Plus. It, it is, if nothing else, a, a very... Uh, nice opportunity for just star terms of amazing acting by Kush Jumbo and Peter Capaldi. Uh, it is a story uh, about a, a detective played by Kush Jumbo who's drawn in to 
an old case uh, because of an anonymous phone call that's received by somebody else. Uh, we are going to, I think, introduce you to that whole idea. We're going to play this anonymous call from the first episode. So you'll hear um, Kush Jumbo as uh, uh, D.S. June Lenker. Uh, and you'll hear, let's see, uh, I, I think we've got, yeah, we've got Peter Capaldi as Daniel Haggerty. Here we go. This is B1. I'm investigating a, what was initially a DV case regarding a, a phone call, emergency phone call last night in the Hayes Lane area. Anonymous caller, Portuguese speaker, assaulted by a boyfriend, active threat to life. Scumbag. Have we got him? No, not yet. How can I help if I come across him? Well, we don't have a name yet, but the reason I'm here, the caller, they made an allegation regarding wrongful conviction. It was an old case that you'd worked on as SIO. Okay. A murder. Victim was Adelaide Burroughs. Burroughs, 2000 and... Case went to trial 2012. 2012, yeah. Already. The man charged. Errol Mattis. Errol. Poor man's OJ. Excuse me. Animal. The injuries completely out of control, that man. But we gone. We gone. All right, so uh, let's begin. Uh, Irene, maybe you can kick us off here. Um, just give me, once again, your overall reaction. Overall, um... I think, you know, I, I, I'm a sucker for police procedurals, and, um, but I feel like this one is, you know, in a way it has a lot of the familiar trappings of, you know, police corruption and the young cop and all that, but it also has a certain freshness to it that I think is, is, is very interesting and has to do with um, especially Kush Jumbo, the, 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 the actor playing the, the black woman who, young black woman who, enters the the scene, you know, as part of the police department. And and so that really kept me, I felt like, wow, why does this feel, there, there's interesting ways that it feels um, more than just something you feel like you've seen before. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so too. And, and, and Sean, you know, this is, I think, in the vein of series like The Wire and the kind of stuff that Richard Price does too. It, it is a procedural and then it's about a whole bunch of other overlays of politics and and culture. Uh, I don't know that it necessarily rises quite to the level of, say, The Wire, but it's kind of, I feels to me like it's in that vein. It's definitely uh, in that vein, but I, 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 I'm glad that you said that it doesn't rise to the level of The Wire because I would have certainly called you on making that comparison <laughs> uh, because <laughs> of my fondness for The Wire. Um Something about this show, it's like I love uh, 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 Peter Capaldi um, always, but there's something like even like that that clip where it's like um, I think The Wire, for example, just did a very good job of like not making it seem like like as much as like there's cops that you hate on The Wire, like the, even the ones you hated, it, it didn't feel like like somebody saying a poor man's OJ in that way where it's like. It's just so on the nose. Like mm -hmm. the the wire had this way of making like um like rolls, right? Uh the sort of like the the most disliked cop on the show. Uh uh I think it was Sergeant Rolls or Lieutenant Rolls, whatever. But like he was a character who was like you you didn't like him, but it wasn't like the stuff that you didn't like about him wasn't just like T V 
stuff that you don't hate that characters always do where it's like um just being so blatantly racist that it's like of course you don't like this guy it was like it's like he you, you didn't like him because of the stuff he as he did to um to mess with the other cops you know what i mean and i feel like some of the ways some of the things in the show feel like um there's such a like tv problems uh in a way that something like the wire didn't and that's maybe one of my uh short um issues with it Although as we go along, the Peter Capaldi character does become a little bit more complicated uh, in the most recent episode. The penultimate, penultimate, I can't say it, penultimate episode dropped this week. Uh, and in that one, you start seeing maybe that this is a tiny bit more complicated. I mean, not that he hasn't done horrible, horrible things. But, uh, but I agree, Sean. And I think the other thing that The Wire did was showed that good cops sometimes do bad stuff. I mean, there's that one thing earlier, early in the series where they all start pouncing on and kicking some people who've who've roughed up a couple of their I mean even Kimba and the people that you really like a lot are just kind of unnecessarily beating the crap out of some some guys who 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 troubled some older cops so yeah I mean would you say they didn't pull any punches hmm yes so so yeah rich give us give us your take on criminal record so by contrast, um, this mo- this movie as well, this series as well, was looking to do everything. It's got family dynamics. It's got this cop story going on. It's got these echoes of of racism, echoes of power struggles. Um, uh, this incredible mystery that you know that you really actually have to pay attention to, or you'll lose the thread um going on and it holds together um this is a case where um all of what they're trying to do is what makes it so rich and so compelling and um i uh, i'm gonna hold judgment about its comparison to the wire right now um which was an incredible series right but um look at all of what the wire was using to work with you know, and how it moved all over uh, the city and um, and the how much of a cast uh, that it that it had and all of the stories that were really cranking in this uh, in the wire. This is not that this is creating, you know, a very comparable tension um, with far fewer pieces. Yeah, and, and I, I, that to me is impressive. I would agree with that too, Rich. Well, I've got you too because I just know this is something that you were struck by. I was struck by it too. I think there's so Chris Jumbo plays. This, first of all, she's amazing. I had no idea how good she was. I know she's in the Good Wife cinematic universe, but I don't really watch that. Although it's on in my house kind of all the time. Uh, but um, she's just amazing. I mean, there's just the amount of feeling and thought that she registers, even when she's not saying anything, is remarkable. But there's an odd juxtaposition: the character played by Capaldi is a racist cop who is kind of fronting for some even more racist cops. Uh, and that is right out there with with an OJ comment in episode one. Um, but at home, she's married to a white, I think she's, I think they're married. Uh, her partner anyway is a white psychotherapist, psychiatrist maybe even. And there's a moment where he starts to kind of I, I don't know, unload or reveal some of his inner processes about race. And that feels like such a more intimate bit of aggression and <laughs> violence than what the cops are doing, which is kind of priced into the narrative. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that was, and that that's a, that that for me is the stuff that's harder to watch, right? Um, because uh, there are things that you know in your home you don't expect to have to to fight for you know your your essence and your being, and um, to watch the fight happen there uh, for me, I, I almost dreaded uh, when she had to go home <laughs> when she was leaving. <laughs> awful situations where terrible things are happening to her, you know, not to, you know, not to, not to do a spoiler thing here, you know, but the process of going home and being with family was, was worse in my experience than what happened to her in, uh, out on the streets. Um, it's just this dismissal of all of who she is and all of what she's experiencing, you know, and this, this need to, put her in this tiny little cup so that his life could be more comfortable so that his experiences could be more palpable. And so that he could have, you know, a sense of, of purpose and, and, you know, an ease in his life. It's just, um, that's a lot to take on while, you know, while dealing with this crazy mystery in the background and stuff happening with your kids and, um, and, a mom who has dementia, much like the Leslie uh, Uggams <laughs> character had, you know, it had so many of the so many similar um, issues that it was tackling. But I was riveted to every last second of this one. Right. So, by the way, the mom is played by I, the, the that mom is played by the veteran actress Zoe Wanamaker. Um, and, and let's hear a little bit of this. You're going to hear uh, once again Kush Jumbo as DS June Lenker and her partner or husband or whatever he is, uh, Leo Hanratty, played by Stephen Campbell Moore. What you need to know going into this clip clip is one of the many sub problems that Chris Jumbo's character has is that she's been doing some data searches on behalf of her mother who, who is in kind of early stage dementia, dementia and is constantly asking for license plates to be looked up. So uh, here's B2, Gene. So you nip it in the bud, talk to your line manager. Roy. Yeah, tell him what you did, big deal. That is literally the worst thing that I could do. Why? Because he's a policy nut. I think he's duty-bound to report it. Okay, so go up the food chain, talk to that assistant commissioner, then, you know, the one you're going on about, the one that pushed you for CID. I'll just pick up the phone. Yo, remember me? I'm that woman that you were yeah. nice to at a recruitment weekend in Hounslow. Why not? Because I'm not you, okay? I don't get to just walk through life taking myself for granted. It's not a crime to be assertive. Assertive. See, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Right. So this is this is a privileged thing. I don't it? know. I don't know, Leo. I, I, I guess what I do know is that I wouldn't shout at some poor A&E nurse who happens to be there just because I felt like blowing off some steam. Sorry. Is that being assertive? What? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. Look, listen. All right? I apologize, okay, if I was rude to some nurse, but I was in a bad way. I was upset because I just, I just got a call, yeah, and for a minute, are, are you even listening? I thought you were dead. You know, Irene, we were talking about how maybe we could, we could <laughs> excuse ourselves uh, in American fiction as not being as obtuse uh, as the somewhat caricatured white characters uh, in, in that movie. In this series, I kind of was less comfortable. I thought some of the stuff that Leo is taking for granted might be stuff that I could take for granted as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, because and, and, and that being the feeling of 
well, why don't you just talk to the manager? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why don't you just be assertive? Why don't you just speak up for what you want? Um, sometimes if we, because it's comfortable for us to do that, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge, uh, mind shift to understand that if you look like, um, Kush Jumbo or, or Jeffrey Wright doing that has a very, very, very different and perhaps, um, you know, deadly effect, you know, and it's really, that's a, that, that's something like, in a way, that's one of the most fundamental things that, that white people have trouble understanding that, that can, not one of the most fundamental, but a really important one, I would say that white people have trouble understanding that we really need to, 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 to be aware of and notice and think about. And I really like that, that, that this show is bringing that to our, our attention as viewers. I mean, at the same time, I kind of feel like, wait, why did she marry him in the first place? Why didn't they talk about this before? You know, and you, you would think they've been together for a long time that they, they would have. And he says, oh, is this just a privilege thing? Oh, yeah, you're just talking about that, you know, and that you can just feel I completely identify. I personally identified with her in that scene, just feeling like, oh, my gosh, he just doesn't get it. He's not he's not. And and as as Rich was saying, it's, he's not on her side. He's her husband and he's not on her side. Like maybe they know what they're talking about or whatever. That kind of response is just um, is, is so intense in a, in, a, in a very, I think, effective way, even though I sort of feel like, you know, yeah. So the whole idea of privilege and what it is, is, you know, we've heard about it, but it's but in, in his. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but oh. I do want to say to her, wait, why did you marry him in the first place? <laughs> what do you like? What do you see in him? That same question. Right. But, yeah. So, yeah, if you've been sitting in the audience and they say if anybody knows of any reason why these two, you, you could have said something at that moment. <laughs> but so, yes. Sean, you know, we're, we're getting near the end of this conversation. Once again, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about um, uh, maybe making people think that this is uh, primarily a lecture in race relations. And I, I think it really does work very well as a police story, as as a kind of wire-like story. Um, there's some pretty exciting stuff. I also would, before you talk, want to just single out a performance that people don't seem to talk about very much, partly because Jumbo and Capaldi are so amazing. This guy, who doesn't have a lot of credits either, his name is Tom Mouchi or Mucci or something like that. His name, he plays Errol Mathis, the guy who is in prison, uh, probably wrongly imprisoned. Uh, and uh, as he starts to have more scenes later in the series, you just think, wow, <laughs> this guy is really good. He could have been in The Wire. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, Sean, maybe just say a little bit about whether this works or doesn't work as the kind of police story it, it also is. So yeah, um, to answer that question and kind of continue on the wire thing, I think uh, Rich is correct in saying that it's it's unfair to make that comparison because they're trying to do completely not completely different things, but they they're they're um it's a different uh, set of tools that they're they're working mm -hmm. with, and, I, and I, I really hate to make that comparison to begin with, but I do have to like it, it's fair to acknowledge that there um there's some sort of overlap of what they're trying to address in some ways. I think it does work. I think it absolutely works. I just feel like um, there's sometimes when I'm watching a show, and you know, this is a as a procedural for all intents and I mean, not even for all intents and purposes. It is a procedural. And I think in the prestige TV era, it's sometimes difficult to like when you have something like The Wire, then to, to go back to watching certain types of shows where it's like it's a little more not formulaic, but like um, familiar in in its approach. 
that uh, it's you know, but they're, they're 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 trying to tap into two different sort of audiences and and uh, ways to execute that thing. So for th what this show is trying to be, I think it is absolutely achieving what it's setting out to do. Um, it's just uh, the wires out there, man. The wires out there, <laughs> moving over everything. I guess it's time. Uh, it's yeah. time. No, time. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, just to wrap up here, I should first of all say that it has been announced that in season two, uh, Detective Linker and Haggerty go to Baltimore, team up with McNulty and Bunk to uh, <laughs> to solve a string of, of murders. So the whole thing is going to just come together in a wonderful way. Anyway, the series is, in fact, um, uh, I think kind of a, a pretty interesting series. It's called Criminal Record. It's on Apple Plus. You can start watching it if you have that streaming service. We're going to take a break. Then this great panel will come back and make some recommendations. All episodes of The Colin McEnroe Show are available 24-7 on any podcast app. If there's a place for reviews and ratings, give us lots of stars and be sure to mention the high thread count in our sheets and pillowcases, as well as the complimentary breakfast buffet. Have a question or comment? Email us at colinshow at ctpublic.org. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Sabrina, and thanks to Gina Matruda, the, the Jedi master who has stepped in here to be technical producer uh, for today's show. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants, who pretty much always does produce episodes of The Nose with our wonderful panel, Sean Murray, Rich Holland, and Irene Papoulis. We're going to have them make some recommendations to you. Sean, why don't you go first? Thank you so much, Colin. <clears throat> I would like to, I think I don't. I can't remember if I might have endorsed this earlier this year, but if I did, uh, and I'm doing it again, it's just because of how good it is. There's this book I read called uh, by Daniel Coffeen, like coffee, but with an N at the end, uh, called Reading the Way of Things, and it's a, it's a fairly short book, about 120 pages, and it's about just sort of a a new way of approaching how to read the world around you, and like um like sort of moving away from like uh, traditional teleological uh, uh, interpretations and, and questions about the world and more about just like bringing your experience, everyone's experience and context is, is as valuable as anyone else's when they're sort of um, uh, viewing the world. And I think that could apply to our conversation today about like American fiction, like, you know, like my, as a black person, my um, uh, perspective on American fiction doesn't have a stronger weight just because, you know, like it's about racial issues. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a, it's a great book I would recommend to everyone. And then just a reminder, uh, a certain individual will be at the City Steam Brewery tonight uh, doing comedy. <laughs> uh, and he's doing that Colin character. Uh, yes. I think, Colin, you would actually like this character a lot. Um, <laughs> I think you would pick up some things I, from I think it and, might... uh, follow uh, Sean Murray on Instagram. Yeah, I think it might be rather painful for you to watch you do that character. Um, all right. So, um, by the way, we both, uh, McPants and I both think you have never endorsed that book before. So uh, it's brand new uh, for us. Irene Papoulis, uh, make a recommendation. 
Well, that sounds like a great book. I, I'm going to look it up. Um, okay, so I and I also have to endorse Sean's point about wanting more of the of the characters to be talking to Monk as he writes. So when you see American fiction, which you should see, um, think about that because it's yeah, I agree with it. Um, Rachel Maddow, no matter what you might think of her, um, wrote this really interesting book called Prequel: The American Fight Against Fascism that I that I'm reading right now, and it's about you know, uh, what it says, but she starts from the early 20th century and talks about how the Nazis went to uh, the American South to study the Jim Crow laws so that they could bring it to Nazi Germany. I mean, it's just devastating and chilling and, and but lots of really, really interesting details and she's gonna move up to the present. And, I, I, and she writes in a very readable way, uh, you know, it's history in a readable way that I strongly recommend. Um, but on a lighter note, there's this podcast um, that I've just been listening to for fun. It's called Cleopodra. So not Cleopatra, but Cleopodra. And these two Middle Eastern women um, have this, they're, com they're both comedians and they talk, it's, they focus on the first generation experience. One of them uh, who has parents from Syria, one from Egypt. And so they interview a lot of Middle Eastern comics and other comics of color for the most part at talking about the immigrant experience, but they do it in a funny, interesting uh, way that really gives you a, an interesting idea about where mm. these people come from and what it's like being in the U.S. that okay. I strongly recommend. Okay. I, I'm just wrapping you up because we're a little low on time for Rich. So, Rich Holland, make, okay, your, sorry. make your recommendations. Rich, are you there? No, he's, he's is he gone? All right. Well, well I can make it. I can. Oh, I, can. I am not gone. There you I are. Not gone. There. Uh, Go ahead. You, you got about a gone. minute and change. I don't need it. Um, uh, two recommendations. One, in the spirit of of saying, you know, you can't go wrong with Jeffrey Wright or have I said it better <laughs> last time. Um, uh, go see again, uh, Angels in America. Hmm. Uh, it was so good and so worth seeing a second time. It's rich. It's complicated. Um, of all names, the villain in this story is called Roy Cohn. Um, you can't do better than that. Um, so definitely uh, find it, watch it, Angels in America. Um, and Wright was amazing in this. Mm. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is some some local theater. Uh, get out. It's almost warm. Um, uh, they may, There might be a few days in there. Go see The Garbologists at TheaterWorks. It's interesting, quirky, fun. It's about um, training someone to uh, to be a trash collector, and a little romance that develops in there. It's uh, it's got good heart, hmm. and it's local, so see it. All right, I will quickly uh, recommend the new Taylor Tomlinson comedy special, stand-up comedy special that just dropped on Netflix. It's called Have It All. Uh, I just, I've gone all in on Taylor Tomlinson. Uh, but also, Jason Zinneman, who was on with Sean recently to talk about comedy, did a really interesting thing in the New York Times. Uh, you can only, I think, see it online. It's called How Taylor Tomlinson Nailed Her Closing Joke. And he walks you through a series of revisions of this joke by with some clips and stuff from different stand-up performances by Tomlinson as she tours the country trying to hone this joke down and make it work and change words. And it's if you're a comedy nerd, it's really fascinating. I don't know about it everybody else. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to this great panel. And we will be back next week. Vernon. I already said that one. Avon. Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah.